Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. No matter what time of day it is or where you're located, right here, right now, you are with me, Laura Paget, And this is my podcast called Living What You're Given. We're in a series in Living What You're Given where we are talking about choices and that sometimes we make choices without really having all the information available to make those choices. Sometimes it's just a matter of really digging deep and finding out how we know to make a choice and what things we need to know to make different ones. Sometimes it's just a matter of if I only knew. Welcome back in to Living What You're Given podcast. I'm Laura Paget, and if you've been listening for a few weeks, you realize we're in season two, and this is our first series of season two. This series is called Choices, making choices around things that we can control. Now, there are lots of things, and we certainly learned this the last two years that we can't control, but there are still tons of choices that we can make. And as I have begun this series in the last few weeks, I have used a special song by my friend who is a jazz artist and a praise artist named Stephen Ray Watts. And the name of that song from his band, Dotsero, is called If You Only Knew. And my particular reason for using that is because sometimes we don't believe we have choices and we need to understand that if we only knew that we did have choices and only knew how to find the avenues for those choices, things could be different in our life. So Stephen's information is always in my show notes for you to reach out to him, his music, where he's located, where he's going to be performing. And I do encourage you to check that out. But for right now, we're going to get going with this show because this is part one of two parts. As you know, we've talked since right before Easter about the cross of Christ and what it means. So my pastor, Pastor Lisa, was on telling us about resurrection of the mind, the heart, and the attitudes on kind of a daily basis. Then we had my lovely friend, Michelle, who is here to talk about surrender. And the thing about this show, Living What You're Given, is that the point is we can't always control where we've been. We can't always control what's happened. We can't always control where we were born, how we were raised. We don't have choices around that sometimes. But to live our best life at every age, at every stage, to the glory of God, is available to us. And my guest today is going to help us see that 
through the power of forgiveness with a powerful story about his life and the things he's learned on his road for this particular topic. His name is Mark Sowersby. I did that right. Perfect. I did that right. Oh, it's so hard to be perfect. It's a big responsibility, but I try. So Mark, oh, welcome to the show. And thank you for coming here and being willing to talk about a difficult situation from such an authentic lens. Authenticity is our friend. Honesty is difficult, but I really appreciate you. I appreciate the work you're going to share with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be with you. And thank you for the opportunity to be able to share my testimony, my story, forgiving the nightmare and how the Lord has brought me on the journey to surrender, to trust, to walk in the peace of God, to lean on him through the trials and the tests of life. So it's an honor over these next two shows to kind of pour out my heart to you and to the listeners. And just, I pray that somebody's blessed by our story that draws us closer to God is a real story. I try to be honest. I try to be true. I don't sugarcoat it. It's not doesn't have every hallelujah moment. There are real moments that uh, makes you weep and cry, but I believe God is having the victory. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. I want to tell people a little bit about you. Thanks. Yeah, good stuff. All good stuff. He is a pastor, a husband, a father. He's Reverend Mark Sowersby. And has been married to his wonderful wife, Jennifer, for 17 years. He's a father of four children. He's been an ordained minister with the Assembly of God for over 25 years. And he's currently the pastor of Calvary Community Church in Dudley, Massachusetts. That's right. MA. Woohoo. Pastor Mark has a BA in theology from Zion Bible College and uh, North Point Bible College. In 2019, Mark went through a time of great healing. He began speaking about the experiences of his past and God's grace and the transformational work of forgiveness in his life. He now speaks about his story through his ministry. Forgiving the Nightmare is the book we're going to be talking to you about as we share Mark's story. And that is your first book, right, Mark? Is that your it first is. book? Yeah. Yes, it is. And when he isn't serving his congregation and his community through ministry, teaching, and support, you will find him on all the trails and lakes of upstate New York, spending time with his family. And I think it's wonderful that you could take time out to be with us today. So that is who you are. And we want to jump right into why you were, first of all, compelled to write the book. But let's start with your story of your testimony, your early life, please. Sure. Thank you so much. Again, I I have a real story that I think too many people will identify with. There's a lot mm. of people who understand the brokenness and the sorrows of life. My story starts off. I came into the world in the usual way. Unfortunately, I did not know my birth father. My mother uh, had an affair and I was a product of that affair and the shame and the pain that my mom carried because of the affair and because of the hurts and pains. And it was different in those times. You got to remember, we're going back to the seventies, the early seventies. And it wasn't like it is today. 
you know, unfortunately, my mom felt like she wore the red scarlet letter and all those things that happened in that generation. And my mom also came from the generation. And if you didn't talk about things, it didn't happen. Uh, we never let the dirty laundry leave the door. You know, you kept it in-house and you, you protected it at every, every cost. Unfortunately, some things need to be shared. Some things need to be talked about. So at seven years old, my mom met a man that was as broken as her. Uh, he was messed up, hurting, and, and so was she. And he was 20 years her younger. Uh, and he began to abuse me. He began to abuse me in every way, shape, and form. He sexually abused me, emotionally abused me, verbally abused me. He beat me and stabbed me and burnt me. He sold me to other people uh, for my body to be abused. So it was a very difficult time. From the ages of 7 to 14, I was raped several times a day. I was uh, abused and taken and sold and, and beaten. And again, these are the things that happen behind closed doors. As a child, I didn't understand everything that was happening to me. I didn't know how to reason it. I didn't know how to uh, put it into any kind of sense. I tell people, I just felt empty, empty, yeah. lost. You know, So those years of abuse shaped, unfortunately, the rest of my life. It's a part of my narrative. It's a part of my story. But it doesn't own me. It doesn't identify me anymore. That's one of my favorite quotes from the book. And, and I um, certainly like the idea of my past does not have to be my present and it doesn't own me. And I love that. So Mark, when you were living in that life, you didn't have a lot of choices around what was going on for you or with you. And as you got out, and it, it's an interesting story of how you got involved with the youth groups and church as well. And I wondered if you could just share that because I think that's a significant point for my next question. Sure, I'd be happy to. Well, the way I the abuse ended is a couple of things. First of all, I was 14. I was getting larger and bigger and stronger. And by this point, I knew I needed to protect myself. I think from seven, because the abuse started when I was seven, I was kind of groomed and, and trained that these things were just I never want to say normal, but that's all I knew. Yeah. All I knew was abuse. So at 14 years old, I, I told my uncle, uh, my mother's youngest brother, and he became my defender. Uh, he was a blue collar guy. I went to his, went to his house to play with my cousins. And uh, you know, next thing you know, I, I'm telling my uncle, confessing it to my uncle. And I'll never forget. He looked at me. His eyes were big as saucers. And he said, now, Mark, are you telling stories? And I said, no. And at that moment on, he became my defender, my protector. He believed me. And I'll never forget what that felt like to have somebody in your corner mm -hmm. on your side. I, I was 14, still trying to figure out life coming from this background, even though I wasn't being abused anymore. I was still living with a lot of pain and shame and hurt. And at 16 years old, uh, I was I was asked to go to church. Um, you know, the lifeguard at our local pool asked me to go to church and she was a young lady and I was a young man. And uh, I said, yes. And then she picked me up with her boyfriend. Uh, so oh. we went. Yeah. Uh, and okay. she, yes, exactly. So then we ended up in church and it was something I never experienced before. All I knew about religion or, or church was what I wasn't. I didn't know what we were. My grandfather would say, we're not Catholic. I would say, well, what, what are we? He'd say, go ask your mother. So I didn't know what I was. I knew what I wasn't. And I walked into a very charismatic Pentecostal people raising their hands and drums and guitars and just nothing I've experienced before. But it was a group where I felt accepted. I felt uh, where I could belong. Uh, again, still living with the with the walls up and the protection and the reasoning as an abused person. But there I found people that that looked like me, if you would. They were teenagers. It was the 80s. We had mullets. OK, we had them. 
Uh, then and then uh, I will never forget that one day after a service, I was thinking I was attending the church for about a week, uh, a bunch of teenagers in cars and the youth pastor came to our apartment complex. And uh, there was five, six, seven cars all beeping their horns very early in the morning. And they were calling for me to come down. They were saying, Mark, come on, we're going to go hike a mountain called Mount Monadnock. That's a mountain in our area. And I'll never forget the how I felt accepted. I didn't wear the right shoes. I didn't have money. I wore the wrong clothes. But you know what? The pastor just brought me in. In that moment, I felt a safe place. Not a perfect place, a safe place. And I became a fixture. I mean, I was there every time the door was open. I was going to the adult meetings. I was going to the senior meetings. I was, I was going to the women's meetings. I, was, I mean, I was just, uh, church became a safe refuge for me, a sanctuary, a true sanctuary. Oh, my goodness. And as we move through that, I think that's wonderful because I, I uh, friends, as you know, on Living What You're Given, I don't usually script. I send a few questions, but I always just allow it to go where it's going. And one of the things I heard you say was just now, I love this. Didn't have the right shoes, didn't have the right clothes. I wasn't the picture perfect church person. And I mean, it is absolutely imperative, I think, for us to understand those are the ones Jesus loves. I mean, he loves us like that. It's like, I was like that too. It's like, I had no idea. You know, first time I went during Pentecost and everybody was wearing red and I didn't know you're supposed to wear red. And so that was kind of hard on me. But I think that's a wonderful analogy of what happens to us when God calls and he just brings the troops and it's like, come on, you're one of us. And he means it. And we must always get to others regardless of our differences. And that's another big thing on this show that we talk about. So, oh, goodness, I'm not a preacher. Well, we're not going to ask my husband. It's a totally different, it's a totally different answer to that. Not really most delightful man in the world. I'll bring him out here, here in a few minutes. But, you know, as you moved through and you talk in the book about there's still this issue with confidence, there's still this issue with self-worth, there's still this issue that says you're not enough. If you were enough, this wouldn't happen to you. Am I right? Am I, right. That's what right. I read. And I, and I didn't actually read those words, but as a child from, from a difficult background too, I understand that never enough thing, the people pleaser, the always doing for approval yep. of others. Yep. Yep. But can you tell me during this time, as you began to evolve now into a completely different individual from a spiritual uh, sense, if you will. When did you realize that your wholeness and your healing depended upon forgiving your abuser? Wow, that's a great, that's a great and deep question. And we'll try to unpack that with you today. What happened is, is of course, the church became a sanctuary, a safe place for me, a place of acceptance and love. And there I heard God's word, I worshiped. And when you're in God's presence, the spirit of the Lord is alive. And as I started to grow in that, in that acknowledgement, I started to grow in the things of God, as I recognized God and read his word, uh, you know, that's when he starts doing the, the deep work. You know, we are the we are the clay and he is the potter. He is the potter and we are the clay. That's when he starts getting deep. That's when he starts getting real. That's when it starts saying, hey, we're going to talk about this stuff, pride, anger, frustration, lust, whatever it could be. And, and in that journey is where he started to talk to me about forgiveness. But it was, it was very small at the beginning. It was like, move the pebble, 
Then I'll teach you to move the stone. Then I'll teach you to move the rock. And then someday you're going to move the mountain. Now, again, it was a very small, small beginnings. Will you forgive? Oh, I remember thinking, God, how could I ever forgive this? I didn't even know what forgiveness was. That my whole identity was shaped in those seven years. I was an abuse victim. I, I carried a chip on my shoulder. The world owed me something. It wasn't fair what happened to me. I, you know, those people should be damned if you would. Why did this happen? I mean, I carried all those expressions and feelings, but the more I, I pressed into God, the more I started to trust God, Paul would say, the more I crucify the flesh, the more you know, Jesus Christ liveth in me, the more that happened. Uh, and again, this is a journey. It didn't happen overnight, and it's still a continuing journey. I'm still on it today. But the more I started to, to say more of God, the more God started to challenge me to, to forgive and trust and choose. Forgive, trust, and choose. Those are the, the things God brought me to. So again, I don't want to give this impression that, hey, I, I got abused. I went to church, and one day at an altar, everything was perfect. One and done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it no. was not, not that way at all. And in the journey of becoming a husband and a father and a pastor and a friend and maturing a little bit and, and all the things that make up life, here I am to, to able, able to talk about this so other people can hear how one can walk away free in Jesus Christ. And, you know, I want to bring up something that was so important to me that I went back and outlined and outlined and outlined. And I also prayed over it. I still have issues with forgiving some of my abusers, but I think for me, and I don't know if it's true for others, there are some myths around forgiveness that prevent us from stepping across that threshold to forgive. Let's talk about those myths, please. Sure. 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 Let's talk about those. You know, first of all, I'll say sometimes as Christians, our default, like the computer has a default, our default is to forgive. We want to forgive. It's 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 a wholesome and beautiful act. We know we're called to forgive. We remember the scriptures that Jesus says, if you don't forgive your neighbor or forgive those who trespass again, we know those. So I think our default is to forgive but we don't usually allow ourselves to go through the process, the psychological process, the emotional process, the spiritual process in the journey of forgiveness. Now we know Christ forgave us instantly on the cross, but sometimes you and I have to go through the journey. David would write, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I think sometimes I've walked through valleys myself of doubt and shame and unforgiveness and death at times. But the Lord said, I am with thee to David. And I believe he says it now. So I think we got to give permission, especially in my circles as charismatics, people want to get, get that automatic touch. And, and I, I want it too. And I know God can do it, but usually the journey is where we learn to forgive. So as I studied this, I went to an author, and and those weren't my words in the book. I'm I'm quoting a a Dr. Sam Storm, a Dr. Sam Storm, and he puts this in, and he talks about the five myths of of forgiveness. You know, we think forgive and forget, but, you know, he would say, contrary to many, that uh, forgiving is not also forgetting. Forgiving is not forgetting. So I say to people all the time, you know, my narrative, my story is I'm an abuse victim. I may not forget that. I, I remember that pain and the sting and the lies. He also tells us that uh, forgiving doesn't mean we let go of the, the offense. Uh, somebody may mean to be perse- prosecuted or, or th- things that need to take place in that way. He also tells us that 
Uh, forgiving doesn't mean uh, that we no longer seek justice or we no longer seek hope. Forgiveness does not mean that it's easy for us to get over it. It's not like, hey, I forgave. We're still going to wrestle with that. And forgiveness is not a one-time occurrence that we got to constantly, I believe, there's days where I'm strong and days where I'm weak, and I'm always bringing that to the Lord. Yeah. Yes. And the thing that I found so interesting about those is where you, I don't know if you mentioned those in there or not. I was listening, but I didn't quite hear you say, we don't have to reunite with that abuser. Oh, not at all. No. Nope. And um, when I began my recovery from being um, the child of alcoholics, one of the things I learned um, was, well, I learned all those things. It took years to uh, set it. And there still are times when I'm living in an abusive situation or a situation that's not for my good. Let's put it that way. It may not sure. be purposeful abuse, sure. but you could apply this people. You can apply this to different groups, maybe friends, maybe uh, groups you're in, maybe you know, professional places and look at situations and say, you don't have to not acknowledge the behavior because that is invalidating and it triples the abuse. That's right. right. I once wrote a paper in college about rape and what was going on in the courts. And I called it rape times two, because once that rape is, you know, uh, well, it's better now but this was back in, like you say, the 70s and the 80s. And the idea of us saying, well, that the gaslighting is a new term everybody's thrown out. And I don't know how exactly it gets used. But one of the things is what we see isn't what we saw. Mm. What we heard isn't what we heard. Mm. And it falls back on the person who has been the um, recipient of the abuse. So I'm not going to use that term victim because we're going to go into that later on, but it is a victimization, but it's that person who then says, come on, you must've asked for it. Come Mm. on. Mm. This is not about that person. This is about you. And you do not have the right to invalidate someone else. That is what people need to hear. If you know people who are in abusive situations, uh, whether it's marriage or children or whatever, and it's not up to me to tell them to return to their abuser. And our churches do that in many different areas. Mm. And one of the things I learned, Mark, was there's a difference between reconciliation and reunion. Yes, Reconciliation is I am reconciling this record, Lord, because I am offering this person forgiveness sometimes out of obedience, but you still work it out. You're working out that forgiveness. But reunion means I walk right back into it, knowing it's probably not going to change on that end. We're not required to do that. Not at all. No, we're all, you know, Jesus speaks about, uh, you know, shaking the dust off your feet. Uh, He talks about not casting your pearls among swine. And, And I think sometimes we can walk through that a season of forgiveness, uh, forgiving those people that abused us, but also not meaning that we have to renew, renew with them. We don't have to you know, celebrate with them. We can have that distance. We can have that hedge protection. We can have healthy doors, big fences, make great neighbors, you know, those kind of theories. So, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. It doesn't mean I have to go to the, you know, I have to go to the uh, sing Kumbaya with my abuser. I mean, I, my abuser really stole something from me. My abuser really took something from me. Now I'm a Christian and I'm forgiving them by faith. I'm forgiving them through the word of God. I'm forgiving them because 
God's called me to do that. But again, uh, there are still real emotions. There's still real tears. There's still real feelings and all that. So, you know, I, I think it's today we're talking about choices. And and yes. did I have the did I have the choice to forgive? You know, I think what I chose was to just get a hold of Jesus. That was my choice. And in getting a hold of Jesus, giving him all my heart, giving him all my mind, giving him all my spirit, giving him all my soul in that journey, choosing Jesus, Jesus brought me to forgiveness. It wasn't like I woke up and said, hey, I'm going to forgive these people. It was that as I grew closer to God, as I chose more of God, God helped me do those hard things. So I didn't wake up and go, hey, I want to forgive. I want, hey, what I want is God. I want God's grace. I want God's spirit. I want God's word. I want God's wisdom. And in that journey, there God said, hey, I'm going to bring you through the hard times. I'm going to bring you through the good times. You're going to move the pebble and someday you'll move the mountain. And in that, and then one day, hey, will you forgive your mom? I'll never forget when God said, will you forgive your mom? Mm. And that journey of forgiving my mom. And then will you forgive the others who betrayed you? And that journey and shaking the fist and tears coming down and, you know, getting angry and walking away and not reading my Bible. How could God ask me to? And then the final day was, will you forgive your abuser? And, and I wrestled with that. Well, God, if I forgive him now, are we going to go out and have lunch together? Right. No, no, you know, no, you don't have to just it's because my abuser, I didn't want to have any kind of tentacles, if you would, or I didn't want to be shackled to that. I didn't want to be hurt. You know, I've met people that their abusers are gone. They're dead and buried, but they yes. still, they still have um, control. They still have, they still have occupancy in the person's heart and mind and soul. So I didn't want that. Uh, so I, I, that's what I sought God. So again, my choice wasn't really to forgive. It was to choose Jesus. And in choosing Jesus, he helped me to forgive, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. And I think it also brings me to another point, which I didn't write down, so but that's okay. We're just having a conversation because we're just at the kitchen table at, at my house in Colorado. So you know what? Forgiveness is as much for us as anyone. Amen. Amen. And that, and that was something I didn't get uh, for a long time. And I still have to fight with it from time to time when God, you know, and I go um, and he says, now, wait a minute, let's talk about this. So my participation, my authorship of my own pain can be a continuum based upon my unforgiving heart. And yet to forgive oftentimes meant to me just exactly what you're talking about. Invalidation, it wasn't all that bad. Uh, let this other person right back into your life because if you if you really have forgiven them, you can walk um, you know into a different kind of, of relationship. No, 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 because that person is not going to change, and I can change by loving them from a distance. Yep, and I'm not talking. Yeah, I'm not talking about loving like you know. Ooh, let's have Valentine's Day. I'm talking about not wishing them any harm. I can't tell you honestly how many times some of the people that have hurt me in my life, I had prayed for a house to fall on them. The Wizard of Oz was like, well, yeah, yeah. So do you have to live in Kansas? I mean, you know, <laughs> so my anger, my commitment to the continued turmoil, I was eating and drinking and wearing every day that hurt me more than them. In fact, in the 12 steps, we have a saying. Not forgiving and holding resentments 
is like drinking poison and waiting for that abuser to fall down. Sure. Probably not. Probably not going to happen. No, probably not. So I really think that's important for folks and and friends. I want to talk about the book because I want you to go, if you are in the situation or if you know someone who's in this situation, if you are, you know, carrying stuff in your heart, the idea of God make me willing to be willing. And one step is to read information from an authentic source. Mark is authentic. And he, in his book, pens the real foundation of authenticity. Otherwise, forgiveness doesn't mean anything. I forgive you, have some poison. I mean, it really isn't the authenticity, but it's the journey. And it it ain't easy, but it is so doable and it is so worth it. And as we talk about those myths, I want you to think about those myths. Mark, would you name them again for us, my friend? Sure, I'll be happy to. You know what? It's in my book. Yes. Yeah, these again, these are not mine. I, I've right. stolen them. I, I stand on the shoulders of other uh, Dr. Sam Storm put them down. And what he talks about is the five myths of forgiveness. The five myths of forgiveness. One is that uh, we believe that uh, forgiveness means forgetting. You know, mm-hmm. forgive and forget. You don't forget. How can not you true. forget when somebody yeah. abuses your body? How can you forget when somebody betrays you? You know, what we do is we forgive and we give it to Christ and we walk in that. The second myth here we talk about uh, means that you no longer have to, you're still going to have pain. If some people think, well, I forgave, so I'm no longer going to have pain. The pain's going to be there. You know, uh, even though I've given it to Christ, there's still pain. There's still, you know, I can still taste and see and smell that past of mine, if you would. Uh, the next thing it talks about is that that forgiveness. Someone someone who uh, sins still is going to be. Um, we don't. I'm sorry. Um, we can still seek justice. You know, if you've been raped, if you've been, uh, if there's been a obviously, if there's been a legal, uh, that you know, it doesn't mean oh, I forgive you and now you're off the hook. Uh, there still should be the the authorities called and justice should be done. The next thing is is um, you know, it doesn't mean that. Uh, it's not easy. I'm sorry. I'm reading another again. You know, it doesn't mean that it's a one-time climatic event that we forgive often and often, and we're forgiving all the time. And the last thing is, it doesn't mean we have to have picnics and kumbaya together. We can have distance and we give it to God. So yeah, the five minutes is on page 39 in my book, Forgiving the Nightmare. We're going to talk about that right now. Mark, Forgiving the Nightmare. Why did you feel it was important to document this stuff? Because as a pastor, I see too many people walking with uh, this hurt. I don't okay. care how old, how young, how, no matter how wealthy or poor or educated or uneducated, this is uh, a, a pain that the enemy uses against many people. And I see people trapped by it. And then I think that there's a a false forgiveness that we teach, you know, that one and done that come to the altar, uh, you know, you've asked for it. So walk in it, name it, claim it, whatever we want to call it. But as a pastor, I see people that are just so wounded that I wanted to share my story and say, it's a real story. I'm a real guy. I have kids, wife, bills, you know, I, the car breaks down. I'm just, just like everybody else. But, but in that, I had to learn to die to self and let God lead me. And it's not easy. It's not easy, but it's honest. So, you know, I wanted to write the story. It came now in my life. My mom passed away just a few months uh, before I wrote the book. And oh. I, think, I think the Lord was uh, 
being gracious to my mom. You know, as we would say, she had a 11th hour and 59th minute conversion. She had a deathbed conversion, like the thief on the cross. She cried out. So I believe that she's with the Lord today. But I, my mom came from that generation that if you didn't talk about it, uh, it didn't happen. My mom apologized to me my whole adult life. Every time we were alone, she'd pull me aside and just cry and weep and say she was so sorry that she didn't protect me good enough. And I learned to forgive her. Uh, did we have our moments? Of course. Did we have sure, our sure. situations? Sure. Um, and and I saw her pain. I saw the victim that she was as as something she did was to herself and something she did was because of others. But I saw some of that pain that uh, she carried and helped me understand it. It didn't make it easier. It just helped me understand where she was coming from. So, uh, you know, upon her passing, I felt like it was a, a season to release this book. The Lord put it in my heart years prior when I was in Bible school, told me I was going to write a book. I laughed because I'm a dyslexic. I, I'm a special ed student. I graduated with a, a third grade reading level and all. And he said, you're going to write a book. And I laughed. And I said, what would it be called in my heart and in my prayer life? He said, it's going to be called Forgiven the Nightmare. And I carried that with inside me for 40 years, 30 something years. And I, and I shared it with my wife and we didn't know what it looked like. And then upon my mom's death, several months later, I felt like the Lord said, it's now time to, to release it. And that's a whole story in itself, how God brought this book. And I'm talking to somebody great like you. So that's how Forgiving the Nightmare uh, was, was brought to pen, pen to paper. And that's, that's the point, friends. When we come from abuse, when we come from dysfunction, when we come from what, you know, nobody has word Wally and the beef. Talk about a myth. That was TV, period. That's the 50s. So that's way before your time, Mark. But what I'm saying is, you know, you know who they are. But what I'm saying is those that have come from this sort of background, like, you know, Mark's is different than mine, but the number one tool to keep us stuck is the isolation. Yes. Never happened to anybody else. That's right. Well, community is a huge piece of this to find people who would support and love you as Mark did, but also to understand that people like Mark are writing books to help us understand, yes, you are valid. Yes, this happened to you. Yes, there are ways out. Yeah, it's going to hurt like the Dickens, but yeah, those scars are going to be turned into beautiful passageways for your healing for the healing of others. And let me tell you, I have a friend named Alan Arnold. I talk about him all the time. He's written a lot of wonderful books. He introduced me to an art called Kintsugi. This is a Japanese art where a piece of pottery that is broken, and I think they break them now on purpose, but it used to not be, is molded back together to its close to its original shape with gold. Mm. And it is such a more beautiful product. You could still see the breaks, but it's been molded and melted back together with beautiful gold that shows the scars. And when we're not afraid of our scars, we can walk out as Mark has, and we can write a book. And again, it's called Forgiving the Nightmare by Mark Sowersby. And how did they get that, Mark? Uh, we're on Amazon. You can find it on Amazon. That's the best way, probably. Or you go to our website, forgivingthenightmare.com. 
and I'm on all the media pages. I'm on Twitter and tweet. No, no Twitter. And yeah, I used to say that Instagram, too. Yeah, Instagram and all those things. So you can find us on all those accounts. But again, probably the best way uh, is through Amazon or going to our website, forgivingthenightmare.com. So friends, that information will be in the show notes. I'm going to give you a link on how you can get this book. And is it available in Kindle as well as hardback yes, and, yep, and all these? Yep. Because I have it both. I have it in Kindle and then I have, have the paperback. And I want to tell you, friends, that when the stories come together, we understand, as Mark has so beautifully demonstrated today, I'm kind of crying, so <laughs> forgive me, that... We may have been broken, but we don't got to stay broke. We can heal and we can help others heal because in the end, the truth is Mother Teresa said, we'll never have peace until we understand we belong mm, to mm. each other. Mm. And that's Mark and I, that's our communities of faith. It's our communities in the world that we belong to each other. Our differences don't matter. Where we came from doesn't matter. What we believe doesn't matter in terms of, you know, that was not a big deal or it is a big deal. What matters is we belong to each other. Mark has demonstrated one of the most beautiful acts of love. That is to wash the feet of the hurting through the love of the words of saying, I get it. I understand. And this is how you can walk it too. Pastor Mark Sowersby, I yes. can't thank you enough for being here. This is just the first part, friends. We got another part coming up. We're going to talk about some more interesting pieces of the book that I found exciting. And those were um, talking about, well, he doesn't call them benchmarks, he actually calls them the trail markers. We're going to tell you why he says it, Mr. Hiker here. And so we're not going to leave you just saying, well, this is the myth. We've given you some ideas, and we want you to hear some of the trail markers on this path to forgiving the nightmare, or forgiving, maybe it wasn't a nightmare, but it was still significant pain. Thanks, Mark. And if Thank you, you. Hang, hang with me for just a few seconds, I'm going to sign this thing off. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, you have heard from Pastor Mark Sowersby, author of the book, Forgiving the Nightmare. I'm Laura Padgett, and this is my podcast called Living What You're Given. And the point of this is to authentically walk into whatever we are, wherever we are, age, stage, doesn't matter. We are precious to God. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on laurallpadgett.com. All of my information for connection is there, including my email. And you can also pick up these podcasts there or if you like, you can get them at Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. But I hope that what we've left you with today is we don't get well and we don't get better and we don't walk into the life that can be our best. And we don't walk into living what we're given unless we intentionally try to find out what we need to know. And sometimes those choices are hard. Sometimes they seem impossible. But Mark's here to tell you, and I'm here to testify, they're not. So keep living what you're given. 
Connect with me, Stephen, and Mark at the information in the show notes. And remember, things can be different if you only knew. Take care. God bless. I will see you.